Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is the leading go-to resource for people who are looking to learn about how to communicate about their sexual health. We study the experiences of people who are navigating herpes stigma, and we advocate for the integration of these lived experiences and communication skills that people have learned uh, throughout having to share their statuses with partners. We want those integrated into sex education resources as a way of aiding the efforts of STD prevention. And that was really, really, much better than I thought it was going to sound coming out because I only just recently revised the mission statement. This is my first podcast interview. I don't think I did any interviews or recordings the month of June, so I'm a little bit rusty, all right? (laughs) I had one from the podcast that went up uh, the week before this one, which was uh, early July, but uh, yeah, this is my first time recording. Other than that, in at least a month, I've been really focused on uh, getting the website together, being able to communicate what something positive for positive people is, the mission statement, and a lot of the objectives and updating things that we've done, uh, podcasts we've been on, survey information. I'm in the process of writing a book, which I'm on 81 single spaced pages of before double spacing and organizing and putting in graphics and testimonials and things like that. So it's been a really busy summer for me. Uh, I hadn't even realized that I didn't record anything in the month of uh, June, but here we are. Uh, Today's July 15th when we're recording this, 2023, and yeah, that summed up what Something Positive for Positive People is at this point at which I'm communicating. Uh, Today, my guest, what's interesting, I know you, I'm not going to say your name, I have no reason to say your name, but... I want you to know, because I don't know if I fully communicated this to you when you reached out, but I was sitting in front of my computer, and I had I was looking for an episode that I did. It was with a young woman who was diagnosed with chlamydia at age 12, and then herpes at 14 or 15. I was looking for that podcast episode because I was speaking to the importance of the sex education component. Because we're in a weird place with sex education. There's people who are thinking, you don't need to be teaching kids about sex. But there are components of sex education that are missing as a result of adults and faculty at schools' resistance to uh, inclusive sex ed. It speaks about things such as boundaries and being able to have healthy relationship management skills, being able to identify abuse, and early on begin teaching youth that if a consent or boundary violation occurs, these are the avenues that you have in order to get help, get support, and for there to be accountability. And it also teaches accountability on the part of the perpetrator as well. And in that podcast episode, that I was referencing the uh, that spoke to the importance of the non-sexual components of sex education. What came up was that 
the lack of information that youth has sets them up for failure and being able to be taken advantage of by predators. Now, granted, this shouldn't be a common thing. It shouldn't be something that we have to look out for, but it is a reality. And these non-sexual components of STD prevention or of sex education, I'm sorry, really do aid STD prevention efforts, but they also uh, do things like minimize the potentiality for sexual assault, for sexual abuse or misconduct, uh, for even relationship abuse. Because if you're setting boundaries and you're saying no to things that are not for you, and you are, in fact, uh, understanding that there are consequences and that there's accountability for acts of unethical behavior, then we're doing the best we can to minimize it. And those things have nothing to do with sex, but that's part of one of the speaking um, points that I make through something positive for positive people. So I'm writing that down and I find that episode and I open my Instagram and I got a message from you who tells me, you know, shortly after I was like, man, this is an old episode. I probably need one new. And then here you are with your story. And I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for reaching out when you did, and I want to thank you for being willing to share your experience so soon. Um, And I think that this is going to be a lot more impactful than you probably believe it's going to be. But um, we can just start with you sharing, because I didn't already went five minutes in and (laughs) giving background. So I I think that this helps set the expectation for what this podcast is going to be about. But um, I'm curious once you just share what you want about yourself age region you know uh, sexuality what you're comfortable with what made you reach out when you did um so i'm i'm close to 40 um I'm, i live in the midwest um and i actually have done research periodically throughout the years about um like emerging herpes vaccines or new medication treatments that are out there and i actually ran across um, an article, I can't remember exactly what it was called, but um, students advocating for um, this, this to be incorporated in the education to be recognized so that there are more, of a, there is more of a focus by the um, medical community on educating people about it, coming up with new treatments and things like that. And it came across your website. And I was like, oh, click. <laughs> And I saw your Instagram page, and I listened to some of your podcasts, um, skimmed through them, and I was like, wow, this is great. You know, um, I've known of some people who have YouTube channels who are, like, openly out about this, um, but it kind of feels like a, a hidden world, you know? Um, so that's why I reached out, and it kind of just gave me a little bit of hope. Um, so my situation is... Um, I guess a little unique, maybe it's not. Um, so at the age of 14, I was kind of like a feral teenager. Uh, I grew up in pretty dysfunctional households, so I didn't have any like parental units really caring about what I did. Um, you know, and I'm out there and this guy, you know, um, kind of just like declares that I'm his girlfriend. He has to be in his twenties. Um, and you know, what do I know? You know, I'm 14, and I grew up, I actually grew up in a very religious household. So, um, you know, I was kind of didn't have as much exposure until I went to high school to, you know, this sort of thing. So I was like, wow, I feel popular. I feel good about myself. Um, and that I do want to touch on that aspect of being raised in a very religious household is 
um, the only sex education I got was don't ever get pregnant and before you get married and you cannot have sex until you're married. <laughs> that was the end of the story. School was the same way. I went to a parochial school. Um, just don't do it. Um, condoms are against God's will, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, no, not even any, um, you know, precautions in place. Just don't do it. All right. And that's not, that's not, um, realistic for teenagers <laughs> at all. Um, and so I didn't even get the health class portion from the parochial school, you know, that is like the horror health class, gym class or whatever it is, where they just show you slides of STDs and the worst case scenarios and try to just scare you straight and pass out condoms and try to put a condom on a banana. There's no talk about, um, you know, different kinds of relationships, um, different orientations or how to navigate any of that. There's no discussion about how you should treat your partner, uh, consent. There's no discussion about the human aspect of it either. Of like, you know, you should endeavor to try to just, you know, date one person for a while and treat them with respect and, you know, hold hands and things like that. I mean, that's completely, it's divorced from anything human. It's just completely, here's all these slides. This is what's going to happen to you if you have unprotected sex. Go wear condoms. See you later. <clears throat> so um, I was a virgin at the time. Um, I was dating this guy, and uh, you know, tragically, unfortunately, he forced himself on me. Um, he didn't disclose anything to me. Was this at age fourteen? Uh, yes, I was fourteen. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, so you know, I ca I had my first outbreak, and it was horrendous. It was terrible. Um, I went to the OBGYN, it was this male doctor, and it's just, you know, my first time, I'm so scared, you know, they do the swab and stuff like that, and it, you know, came back, you know, HSV too, and I mean, I was just, first of all, I was in denial that I was violated, you know, um, and second of all, you know, this was the late 90s, this is a death sentence, you know, this is the most terrible thing that could ever happen to you in the world. <laughs> so I think it was doubly traumatic for me because I had to get through the fact that I was violated. I didn't have a choice. I was not informed. Um, and then to just navigate my entire sex life, you know, from the beginning with this. And how do I do that? Um, so it took me like probably about a good seven years to get over the trauma of being violated, I'd say. Um, had a lot of therapy and stuff like that, so I've really healed from that. But just whenever I think about it, it's still just kind of like a little bit of a stinging reminder, like this is why you have this. <laughs> um, and not to say, you know, not to say that, or take away from other people's experiences um, who didn't get consent either because someone just didn't tell them and they did have consensual sex, but um, you know, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I want to get herpes today. <laughs> you know, that's, so pretty much everyone is, is usually in shock from what I understand. Um, and it's just been from there, it, it's just been kind of, um, like a grab. I don't want you to feel like you got to like tell the whole story timeline oh, okay. of your entire life. You can take breaks. I'm going to always <laughs> no, have questions. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you seem like you're in a really a, a much better place talking about this than other people I've spoken to who've been through yeah. 
this the scenario of being sexually assaulted and gotten herpes but also there's also this added layer of your 20 something year old assailant predator right my question is where were your where were the adults where were your parents where were the teachers where was anyone who would have seen a 14 year old with a 20 year old and knew that that wasn't your older brother or uncle or something oh yeah um it happened that you know it, it it happened under the noses of everyone it was basically like nobody cared what i did um nobody it was again it was just kind of a situation where um i was kind of feral like there was nobody you know parenting me and then when i finally did tell one of my parents um the only parent that i had at the time uh they accused me of being a whore um yeah i told them what happened and i was accused of being it was just horrible and at that time i had transitioned to public high school which is kind of a shock because you know there's a lot larger student body it's different kind of culture um you know parochial school is a lot more strict and it's just more regimented smaller um you know and i didn't feel like i had anyone to turn to really so uh, that's just kind of what happened nobody cared so it's just very tragic and I think that happens probably to a lot of women it, um, yeah it, it does they, uh, how did you end up meeting this guy um, that's kind of like the typical I fell in with the wrong crowd at high school sort of thing um, they hung out at um, you know like a strip mall area there was a taco truck there and this guy he just saw me um, and I spoke some I spoke Spanish uh, conversationally a little bit. Um, I grew up kind of in a Hispanic town area, and he was um, a Hispanic guy and barely spoke English. So we didn't really. <laughs> it's just like he kind of claimed me. He grabbed my arm and just kind of like hugged me, and you know, and he's like, "You're my girlfriend now." So it, he. I found out later that people knew that he had this STD, and they never told me. Um, so it's just it was upsetting. I think I was just in with the wrong crowd and they didn't care about me, you know. So was this one of those situations where it's like older dude who might have been out of high school is still hanging out with his high school friends who have high school friends, or was it like you maybe looking older, hanging out with your middle school, high school friends, older people? Because you say the wrong crowd, and I'm trying to just I want to kind of bridge this gap of like I don't know if you've seen the show Euphoria but I think about the show Euphoria yes. with Fez the guy who yes, yes. sells drugs and everything like he's clearly in his 20s but he's around the high school kids and then like you've got who is it uh like the main character's younger sister who somehow is hanging out with the high school kids so I'm trying to paint a picture for if anyone's listening and they're like how, how could this even happen I can't even imagine because I, I know that that can be like a little bit of an age range gap that would bring someone so young and someone so old in the same space but yeah would you say it was one of or both of those things or something else well you're exactly right it was um, a combination of high school students that I was hanging out with and prior um, individuals who had already graduated they were a little older and they're you know go up the line of age range of friends and friends of friends who just kind of like it's a taco truck I mean it's you know a common hangout area but you know 
so they they knew each other a lot of them knew each other but it was that situation where some of them were older and had gone to high school um throughout the years with the other students that i had known um so yeah that's the the, the wrong crowd is what i what i mean by that is um you know they didn't really care that much they just you know if you were there to tag along then fine whatever you know they weren't like good close friends because I was transitioning and I you know from parochial school to um public high school and I think um I think one of them was a friend that I had from parochial school and she introduced me to these girls um at high school so it was kind of just like uh I got swept up in it you know yeah so I'm gonna be honest at least of my concerns right now is the herpes and I'm more concerned about the fact that this was able to happen under the noses of everybody. You mentioned just kind of being feral and that there was a lot of apathy. People just didn't care about you. And what I'm wondering here is what in hindsight do you think would have perhaps helped you in that time where you were around people who didn't care, um, but you had this 20 year old man to make you, you know, who cared for you? You know, I would assume that you felt uncared for. This man made you feel cared for and yeah. was able to give you that feeling, right? The That that cliche statement, looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah, um, like I said, I had a pretty dysfunctional upbringing, so I think it, it stemmed from that. Um, and then really not have anyone looking out for me. Um, parochial school, I have to say... I'm, Fortunately, the stereotype for me, it was true. They just look the other way with a lot of stuff. There are signs and things and just, I could just, I look back at it and I'm just like, how could you not, you know, get involved at that point? Um, and then, you know, going to high school, they had like a 3,000 student body, you know, 3,000 students. So the counselors were just like, I think I tried to reach out to my counselor, you know, you're assigned a counselor. Um, and I think it, it was just like the dispensing of boilerplate advice. Like, you know, stay with, you know, these kinds of people instead, stick with this, you know, nothing really personal. So I think it was that I fell through the cracks was like the perfect storm of just a lot of people didn't care. You know, they, you know, when I had told my parents what had happened, they said they trusted me that I should have, I should have, you know, that they had trusted me. And looking back, I'm like, what kind of parent? puts their full trust into a 14 year old to, you know, not get preyed on by a sexual predator. Like what, you know, it was just completely dysfunctional, crazy. How um, long did this relationship last? I'd say a few months. Okay. So he never came around your family or around people. He did. They didn't, they just didn't care. Okay. I mean, and this, this has got to be, I can't, I hope that there's someone else out there listening and just knows that, you know, this, I'm not the only one. You're not the only one. This is just a family that doesn't care, dysfunctional. Um, they think after a certain age, you're just, even though you're technically still a minor, you should be able to navigate the world yourself. You're an adult being an adult. Okay. Um, and yeah. you said, pure, what was the word that you used? Did you say purity background, religion, parochial? What's this parochial word? School. What does that mean? Parochial, so like religious school. Okay. 
So, so it was a it was a it was a religion based school, you know, a private school. Do you have any siblings? I do. How many? Two. I have an older sister and a younger sister, and we are not in contact. With each other. Okay. During this time, I guess, like, where were they? What was the treatment? What was their response to this, too? Mm, it was crazy. My older sister and I never got along. She was about five, six years older than me. Um, and she looked down on, upon me for what I had done. For what I had done. She kind of had the holier-than-thou disposition. She was kind of pissed that I went to public school because um, she just was like, you're going to be stupid now. You know, like, I just was totally treated like a black sheep of my family. I have no idea how that, you know, I, I could go into it some other day, but I understand the dynamic of how it happened. But she, um, in order to cope with the dysfunction, she had to kind of, like, isolate herself as a separate person. Um, and so she had gone to private high school and stuff, and she felt like, you know, I was making all the wrong decisions. She was chastising me for it. It wasn't really any, like... We didn't relate because she was very on the straight and narrow, and I was just kind of like wild. Like she did not have a wild side to her. Um, she's very reserved, so I it, that didn't help at all. It really kind of made matters worse because she was basically condemning me um, for everything that I had done, and it was just kind of like looking back. I'm like, where are the parents? Where are the people guiding me? There's nobody that was you know guiding me. Um, the younger part of my years it was very strict. It was strange. And I find this in a lot of religious households where, you know, after a certain age, you know, you're bigger, <laughs> you're, you're a bigger person. Now they know they can't really control you. And because you've been restricted for so long, you know, you kind of just go crazy if you get the opportunity and the mix is right. And that's what happened to me. You, um, you mentioned uh, telling a parent. Yes. You... I don't have both of my parents weren't in my life so just the one and they yeah okay all right were there two adults in the household or was there always just one there's three so okay. my parents and their parents all right. and they also they also were kind of like you know uh boomers kind of just like at a certain age you should be able to know better and you're on your own sort of it's just very strange Seemed okay like like night and day there was a flip a flip of a switch and all of a sudden I go from you know having to have strict rules to I'm just kind of doing whatever I want and it's strange because you know at first I, I remember being afraid that I'd get in trouble for stuff and they kind of just didn't care and I was like all right well you're 14 <laughs> you're gonna do what you want all right um, the reason I asked about your family and your sisters is because it, it kind of paints a picture of uh, any defense that someone may have for this being your fault or why this happened. I think that as you answer these questions, we see that there's nothing that, there are no existing interventions that could have taken place to keep you out of that situation. You know, our foundation, our fundamental family structure and school, they have their roles in doing what they do, but ultimately that area outside of school if you're not at home you're not at school what's happening right. outside of that has a lot more influence over us than just at home or just at school and what I think uh I wonder with your sisters 
Um, I know you said, you know, there's no contact, but I wonder if the way that they responded to you was as a result of a different thing that might have happened to them, or maybe even if it was something similar or the same. And this could have been a projection, like the perfect sister perhaps had to maintain her perfect image because something like this happened. Because it's really hard for me to believe that in the environment where you've got three women from the same family, from the same environment that... My like, younger sister, I didn't grow up with my younger sister, but we are related, so there's that part of it. Mm. We are related, both parents, so. Okay. It, it, I, you know, without speaking all the words, you can kind of read between the lines that there was a lot of dysfunction and reasons for why all of us didn't grow up together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right, my, my older sister had to find her own way to cope. And I think she just took that stance because of how she was treated. Um, you know, she's done some unforgivable things to me in my life, but I still kind of understand how that all came to pass. And it's just throughout the years, it's now I got to take care of myself, you know. Um, so that's, that's you know, I've come a long way. I'm in almost 40, so um, kind of pulled myself out of that by myself without you know, someone guiding me. So I'm one of the lucky ones, but there's so many other women, young girls out there who won't have anyone to, and they, and they, for whatever reason, won't be able to pull themselves out of it because it's extremely difficult. Um, there's a lot of things, obstacles and adversity. So um, I hope if any one of those girls is listening or women who've been through that, you know, to know that you can get through that even without your organic a support system that's supposed to be there for you. Mm. Um, you got to try to find the people who will be. So. Yeah. And you <clears throat> mentioned having been in a lot of therapy, you've had your life experiences yeah. and everything like that. Um, I guess, how has therapy helped you? Um, you know, you just, it's what you put into it. Sometimes you have to find different therapists and, some may work for you, some may not. Um, there's different kinds of therapy, but I put a lot into it throughout the years because I've always endeavored to improve myself. Regardless of what situation I came from, I wanted to get better, you know. And I blame myself for so many years for what happened to me. Like, I, I blamed myself as I shouldn't have been with, I knew better, I shouldn't have been with that guy, you know. And it took a lot of time for me to just, you know look at myself and that 14 year old version of myself as kind of separate in a way of like looking at her and her circumstances and say wait now that you're older you know intellectually she could not have done anything it was just there's nobody there and and she's 14 she shouldn't have been charged with the responsibility of being a complete autonomous adult at that time she wasn't she was 14 I know 28-year-olds so. who ain't even responsible adults, right? Like, we <laughs> yeah. go through high school at 17, 18. Then we're sort of enabled to be kids for another at least four years by right. going to college. And, you know, you were in no way, shape, or form mature enough to have the level of responsibility that you had. But you also were not given the tools that would have helped you being able to better navigate society the world the environment that you were in you know in a way to know okay this ain't right 
Like you don't, you just don't know any better, especially at that age. So your therapy, your healing was essentially you needing to accept the fact that this was not your fault. Right. Yeah. It wasn't. Uh, Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, um, I was going to kind of talk about the, you know, uh, the next, you know, years of my life where my experiences of dating with this. (laughs) Now, I was actually going to be my next question. I was going to ask, like, when it comes to sex, like, how has your, it, it seems like more difficult to deal with the fact that your first sexual experience was an assault by a man who was older than you and yeah. you know more so than having to deal with herpes but having to deal with sex from that traumatic experience because I know like a lot of people sometimes their first sexual experience sort of is linked to their arousal in a way so I'm wondering is that yeah. something that's true for you and how has dating been for you between the trauma and the herpes disclosure um well, like I said, it probably took me about like seven years of really, seven to ten maybe, of really feeling so traumatized by the sexual experience. But during that seven, wanting. during that seven years, did you have sex? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did. So you know, I was kind of just the person who, and I've always had like the you know, let's try to plow through this attitude, like let's keep just trying to live life, you know. And so I had a multitude of very interesting experiences as a result. Um, you know, so like the, I've had this for like almost a quarter like of a century. <laughs> I just like thought about that right before I said it. I was like, wow, 25 years almost. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, you know, so I've, you know, done my best to make sure I'm disclosing and stuff like that. And I've tried it all, you know, like. Disclose right away, disclose after a couple dates, disclose after we have some feelings for each other, over text, over phone, over, you know, in person. Like, I've tried it all. And for me personally, what I've found, um, probably in, in conjunction with my younger experiences, a lot of guys would initially be okay with it. And they'd want to use a condom, of course, and, and have sex. But That's how we get guys to use condoms. Not, (laughs) hey, I got herpes. Oh, I'll wear a condom now. Oh, my God. So they'd be okay, but they wouldn't want to stick around because in their mind they're like, you know, oh, you're hot. I want to be with you. But the longer I expose myself to you, the potential of me getting it. So I was seeing in my, you know, early 20s just like a huge turnover. Like why wouldn't these guys hang around and they're just kind of like, you know, doing what guys I'm not trying to stereotype men in, in general, but a lot of young guys just kind of out there doing their thing. Um, but they particularly did not want to, you know, there's like a magic number in their head, I think. You know, I can't do it this many times with her because then I'll get it. Um, and so I've done, you know, over the years, I've done a lot of research about this, so much research. So I've become a lot really educated about it and how do I disclose and things. And so... You know, I try to educate people and tell them, you know, about it. Um, I've tried, you know, in the beginning, I would just break down and cry and tell them why I had it and felt like they would feel sorry for me. And, you know, that wasn't a good method, <laughs> you know. And then I tried the nonchalant, like, yeah, it's no big deal and this and that. But 
I've really come across most of the guys that I've dated um, didn't know anything about it at all. And I'm just was like, wow, you know, you don't, and, and because I didn't have the formal sex education, I, I wasn't sure, like, is this something they talk about? And, you know, is it just one slide where they're like, this is herpes, don't get it. You know, <laughs> why were so many of these guys uneducated about this? Um, and so I get a lot of people who were cool. Again, they wouldn't want to stick around. But then I get some who would reject me and in later years. Um, you know, I'm okay if you are, like, not, you know, respectful and treat me with compassion. I just was really vulnerable to you. I told you something really private about myself. And if you're, like, yeah, I'm, you know, really respectful and you don't want to continue, fine. But if you're going to come at me ignorant, I'm going to just drop some knowledge on you to, like, blow your mind. Because I've had a lot of guys do that and kind of treat me like I'm a leper, like I'm um, the, you know, bane of society. And so I'm just like, listen, you know, about 25% of the women that you've ever had sex with probably had some form of it and exposed it to you. Either they knew they had it and didn't tell you, or they knew didn't know they had it and couldn't tell you. Um, and then I'd ask questions like, so when you have oral sex, do you wear condoms? Well, oh, you don't. Okay. Well, did you know that the majority of the new cases uh, being diagnosed are the HSV-1, quote-unquote, you know, cold, sore version in the genital area? You know, and they... And of course, this you know makes them very defensive and and upset. But it's just like if you're gonna kind of treat me like shit, I'm gonna like throw a knowledge bomb on you because you know you're acting like you're somehow like you're a, pu- a puritan or something. You're better than me. You, you you're clean, quote unquote. Um, and then I'll come across guys that are like, yeah, I've, I've been you know tested. I only have HSV one, the cold sore one. And I'm like, oh, what what? pump your brakes, all right? I wish that they would not give that designation, you know, HSV-1 versus HSV-2. They can they can appear on both parts of your body. It doesn't matter. And like I said, HSV-1 is more prevalent in the genitals now than it used to be. Um, and so unless you've had a swab, and even then you just really don't know. So it just makes me laugh when, you know, guys come with that defense, like, well, I only have that one, you know, like, you, you don't know. You don't really know. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then I continue and I go on and I say, well, you know, even if you do use condoms, this is a skin-to-skin contact virus. So condoms, unless you're wearing like a full-body condom, <laughs> which no man is, or like condom shorts or something, <laughs> um, you're going to be exposed, potentially exposed, and to HPV and things like that too. So don't sit up here, you know, and, and treat me like that. You can be respectful and decline. And that's fine. I'm not going to be heard about that. But um, it, it just, like, blows my mind away. And and something else that's blown my mind away is, you know, they talk about how prevalent this is and stuff and how often I've dated and disclosed. And, like, I've only ever had one guy tell me, yeah, I have it too. Like, I've never had any guy, like, tell me, yeah, I have it too. Like, and so I'm like, where are all these guys? And, you know, also my experiences with doctors is it's just been a mixed bag. So some are like, you know, oh, it's not a big deal. And, you know, you shouldn't have to die a thousand deaths finding out that you have this. And I'm like, but there's this psychological component to it. You don't test for it unless you ask specifically to get tested for it. And 
My findings with that, the reason why they don't include it in the usual battery of STD testing is because they have said, doctors have had a consensus that, number one, it does not change people's sexual behavior. Number two, it is not life-threatening in in a way. Oh, go ahead. Uh, this podcast would not exist if people behaviors didn't change after getting this diagnosis because I started it in 2017 after learning that there were people who because of their diagnosis attempted to kill themselves and who've had suicidal thoughts yeah so this is mind-blowing to me what this community of professionals is telling me and I'm like well you know that's not my experience and I have it and I've had it for over two decades so you can't tell me that um you know I've just they have kind of like a nonchalant, it's not a big deal sort of thing. And they're just like out the door, you know, wear a condom. <laughs> so what I've learned in defense of health professionals is that it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things that they learn about that are a big deal. Right. So when we're talking about a herpes diagnosis, which is just a virus living in your nerves, Emerging, becoming inconvenient physically into your sex life periodically, doctors are like, oh, it's not a big deal. Versus right. someone who works in a trauma care unit who sees the quality or the quantity of things where people don't make it, right? So we, we, we're looking at it from that perspective. So yeah, to them, it's not a big deal. But in this space, highlighting the experiences that people have after a diagnosis, yeah, I mean, this is a big deal to this person. And I don't think that anyone's diagnosis should be downplayed or any condition should be downplayed. However, I do believe that there needs to be, at the very least, some sort of understanding of context when doctors are saying that. Because um, I did an interview, and I'll be releasing these uh, shortly. I interviewed uh, about eight healthcare providers on stigma. And it was really interesting to get their perspectives on, you know, what, um, how they view people's interactions with stigma and how they interact with their patients, because it just offers you perspective that you wouldn't expect. For instance, a lot of times people will go to their primary care physician for their, for conversations about their sexual health, when a better person to go to might be someone who specializes in Uh, sexual health or a urologist and I've learned that it's important to have like a team of healthcare professionals to care for you so that you can go to specific ones for specific things Um, so yeah just just like speaking to that perspective of why they say it's not a big deal but also understanding that you know 33% of people that I surveyed in 2021 said that they thought about ending their lives and you can't say that people's behaviors don't change after this diagnosis when they find out because what did you have to do you now had to tell people about this status change and that changed how you had sexual relationships and it changed the way that you had regular relationships and it changed the way that you had to communicate and you had to learn how to communicate because you weren't given that prior to your diagnosis and if you had it you might have still gotten herpes a different way or from a different, you know, situation, but yeah. it would have been in a way that you would have been better prepared for, you would have been equipped for, and that you might have even consented to. Right, exactly. Um, so, 
I actually refer some people to a YouTube video. Do you know who Adam Conover is? Adam ruins everything. He had, oh, he's oh, a, oh, he's right. a comedian. Okay. Um, and he actually put out a YouTube video about herpes um, and how it really shouldn't be that big of a deal and kind of the history about it. And so it's kind of a comical way. And so sometimes when I do disclose, I'll drop them the link and I'm like, look at this. Um, and it shouldn't be. And I've, I've read, I've listened to some of your podcasts about um, the stigma and media and things like that. And it is, it's, it's everywhere. And I've had some friends too mention it. I remember friends mentioned, mentioned it when they talked about glitter and they're like, it's the herpes of the art world. And I was like, you know, and I've had a couple other friends just, you know, one of my friend's parents just mentioned, they, they talk about herpes on a regular basis. Like they'll drop it conversation and say, yeah, because that herpes is out there. Better be thankful. You know, and I'm just like sitting in the back of the car or wherever I am. And I'm like, Oh my God, cause it's so terrible. You know, and their age range is a little older, but it's just like, you know, I've had people. So I've only told like two very close friends other than every other guy I've dated <laughs> about it. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it slightly changed their perspective, but they're kind of like, you're beautiful, you know, you know, and I'm just like, whenever anyone around me encourages me, like, you know, yeah, you know, you may have this or that going on in your life, but, <clears throat> you know, get out there and stuff and in my mind I'm like they don't know you know because there, there is a website called Positive Singles and um, it's for people who specifically who have this diagnosis but also for people with other STDs and it is just a terrible website I've been on and off it over the years and it seems like the same people and their behaviors are similar to those a lot on, that you'd find on Tinder and people who just want to hook up never found anything meaningful there but it's like bouncing between that and the mainstream dating it's just like what do you do you know because um, it gets it weighs down on you and just to talk about dating altogether right now in this time that we're in it's already terrible there's four stories everywhere then you have to add this extra layer of like after you've gone drudged through all of these conversations finally found somebody now you have to be like, when is the perfect time? And oh my God, what's the response going to be? And so it's just, it, it is really hard. And I, I do think that there needs to be more awareness out there about this and, and how it's, it's not that big. It really is not that big of a deal. It is not the end of the world for society. You know, it is the end of the world for a lot of us who have it because it's impacted us. But society should not be making it, you know, stigmatizing this so much. Like you, uh, like it is just this super serious. So then get mosquito bites. And there's a whole other host of things that go on on our skin that is uncomfortable. And we don't like it, you know. And people who have, you know, your girlfriend has a cold sore. All right. You don't kiss her until it's, it's healed. Nobody dies a thousand deaths. But if your cold sore is located somewhere else on your body, all of a sudden, now it's completely unacceptable. And anyway, if you do have a breakout, nobody's really going to know because they can't see it versus the one on your mouth. So it always kind of made me be like, why is this one so much scarier? You know, nobody's going to see it. It's not going to be immediately visible that you're having an outbreak if you do but if you have cold sore you know everybody's gonna see it why is this one more stigmatized so 
you know, I just kind of ran you from, uh, through A, A through B um, about my experiences, but it's been a mixture, and it's been interesting, so. As almost 40-year-old you, going back, let's say you saw 13-year-old you, yeah. and you could prevent what happened to her, um, but you got to kind of like just show up, say what you're going to say, and then disappear, or do what you're going to do and disappear, <laughs> right. right? What would you What would you do? What would you give 13-year-old yourself? I've thought about that, and for a long time, I would obsess about the thought about wishing to go back to 13 so that I could avoid this because it ruined my entire life. I mean, that was my thought process for a long time. This has ruined my life. Um, I, I, I don't, like, I guess I don't know. I, I feel like I have to find a resource for her and connect her with it because... That feels like, I, okay, hold on, wait, wait, wait. It feels like I was trying to point you in the direction of saying something like that. My, what I was intending with that question was there was so many other things going on that that yeah. was almost inevitable. So how yeah. can we, what can be done or what should have been done to make, you know, uh, some of the other things that were happening that enabled this to happen? What could have been done about those things? Because you mentioned being at a religious school that comes with everything that comes with the religious school. And there seems to be like a little bit of a pattern here where when people are raised in like really strict households that something like this happens and then they experience this deep sense of shame and guilt and for things that they yeah. don't have to be ashamed of or guilty of. You know, I think that our parents, they do they do the best they can with what they can or what they have right like that's yeah. what i want to believe but in yeah. your circumstances your environment this wasn't like a one decision would have changed everything this yeah. needed to be a system of things that came in to not only change the environment but to also teach you how to navigate that environment i feel like i mean i could go on a tangent about We got a little bit of a freeze there, if you can still hear me. Okay, Terrible. you're back, you're back. We just disconnected, yeah. Sorry about that. No, no worries. Um, you know, I think that if you've gone through a lot of trauma, I mean, there's World War One, World War Two, depression, all this generational trauma getting passed down, basically in the way of, we just have to survive and we didn't know how to raise y'all. And so that just keeps perpetuating down the line. And I think that some parents, when they get to the age where they're parenting teenagers, they might forget how they felt when they were a teenager. And that when you have a teenager, you know, you're, you're losing control over so many things, you know, in their life. You know, because when they're much younger, you know where they are 24-7, who they're with, the bus schedule. But as they're getting older, you know, you don't have, they're going over to such and such's house, but you don't exactly know who everybody's going to be over there. They're more independent. You're a little less worried about their vulnerability. Um, and I think these young people need, need less 
you shouldn't, 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 shouldn't. You know, we need education about this situation may uh, may come across. You know, what do we do? How, how come we can't open up the dialogue about that? I get so irritated when I see, you know, on TV, you know, parents saying, you know, getting scared. They don't want to talk to their daughter about them starting their period. And, and oh, that's just for the mom. And, or sex. Oh, we don't want to. Like, why? Why is that? What do you think is going to happen as a result of that? You know, what do you think is going to happen with your child? You know, so I think there's healing that has to be done, you know, within yourself to be able to say, you know, this might be uncomfortable for me a little bit, but this is going to benefit them more than it's going to hurt be uncomfortable for me. We need to talk to our young people and have over, open conversations. You can't stop them from doing what they're going to do. When they get to a certain age, they're out there, and, and you know, they're going to have access to their friends' smartphones at school. So you can't just control everything on their smartphone or not give them, you know, you have to think about these things. So for I think parents need to have less rigidity about should and shouldn't and more of an open dialogue about your changing body and how, you know, how you should be interacting with each other and, and asking for consent and more of a holistic human approach rather than the mechanical this is how sex works and that's you shouldn't do this and that i don't know how we got to that but um in this country it's just very we're bad at it really bad we have one of the highest rates of teen pregnancy and stds and you know i look at other countries like france that teach sex ed at like a very young age like i think starting at 10 or 11 like the tween age but they approach it like because it's France, all right. So they talk about how you should be touching each other and stuff like the compact, like the human component. They have like the lowest teen pregnancy rate in the world, you know, because they're tying in the human component to it. Um, and I think that's what we should be doing. We should be looking at some of the other examples in the world that actually work. Um, so for me, I don't think there was anything, one thing that could have been done. Could have been done. You're right; it was like systemic for me. But um, I think if any other parents are listening, who are parents of teens, um, get there's a lot of resources. Get some education and talk to your kids. You'll you'll help them so much. Uh, you mentioned like this fear of the parents talking to the kids. Like there's a, a fear of. Yeah. What's going to happen if I talk to them? If I talk to them about sex, they're going to have it. It's kind of like speaking it into existence almost. Or like sure. once you have a conversation with your kids about sex, that now it becomes a possibility. When the reality is that's just always going to be a possibility. Like you were a kid at one time and now you have a kid. So there's only one thing you could have done yeah. to have gotten to that place, right? And uh, what I see is it seems like nobody really wants to talk to each other, uh, not just between parents and children, but also schools and children in fear of the parents and parents and children in fear of the consequences outside of the house. And uh, the parents in schools may not be able to talk to each other because parents have to work during school hours and school hours are right. when the adults there are working. So it's really difficult to get people together. And it's like this seems to be something that there needs to be a community approach a community agreement on because if the next door neighbor saw you with this 20 year old and you're they know you're in middle school and 14 it's like hey go no nah, go home 
Like, I, I'm not, I don't, I can't watch a man with a mustache walk around with a middle schooler, right? I mean, I know, I know, like, some people grow mustaches a lot earlier, but I would question it at the very least. And I think that there's like this, this fear of saying the wrong thing or being wrong or consequences for doing the right thing uh, has really um, divided people to where there is no fear of re, uh, responsibilities or accountability. And that's why this man was able to have herpes and not disclose it and also prey on someone uh, underage. Like that's, that's not legal. Like there were no, right. yeah, 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 and he didn't care about that, right? No. So I, I'm pretty sure I had neighbors looking out the window, and they just were like, you know, I, I don't know what went through their minds, you know, but I think that we need to approach it as so much discourse nowadays is as a result of like control, control, control. control. No, can we just approach each other as you know we're concerned? We're concerned about the well-being of somebody. I'm not trying to control what you're doing in your house, but I'm concerned about their well-being because I saw them with someone who appeared to be much older, you know, and I think the way that things have gone in our society lately is just, you know, one side or the other, and then just, it's all about control. And, and I don't think it should have to be that way, especially with our young people, and they're so vulnerable in their, you know, now they're being raised with social media, they're, um, they're, you know, exposed to so many things, and it's a lot different world than when I grew up. I didn't grow up with social media. So they need all the help that they can get, and they don't need it from an adversary across the counter. Who, you know, let's talk about this, you know. Yeah. But you're safe. And you're right, I think there should be more emphasis on um, safe relationships because I think that, a lot of girls don't recognize love bombing and things like that um, that seem, you know, um, it seem har- seems harmless. Oh, he really, really, really likes me. You know, stuff like that. So it needs to be more holistic pro- approach. We are a whole being. We are not just this or that. We are a lot of different things. And, it, and for us to just pull this one section out and be so mechanical about it and just wear a condom so you don't get STDs. We're pregnant. It's not gonna work. Yeah. I don't. Know. We uh, I think we see so many negative outcomes from people intervening, um, like extreme action or like I'll use myself as an example. Um, I was talking to my grandfather uh, about a time where I saw this man. He he didn't put his hands on her, but they were yelling at each other, and he like shoved her, and I like I made my presence known. But then she got in the car with him and left. And it's like, wow. But I told him about that. And he talked about a time. He said, man, son, listen, you don't want to get involved with stuff like that. Because who's to say? And then he shared an example of him and his military friends who uh, they saw this man, like, beating this woman up. And they beat the shit out of this dude. And after beating the shit out of this dude, she jumped in and, like, started hitting them. And they press charges on him and his friends who helped her right so that kind of thing now makes me hesitant whereas 
I want to think that I will be the kind of person who will step in and do what's right, but there's that to worry about. We've also got to worry about uh, retaliation. Like, who's to say that somebody I don't pull off of a woman doesn't turn around and stab me? Or if I start, you know, beating the shit out of this dude, his girlfriend who was just getting the shit beat out of her doesn't pull a gun on me, right? Or that this isn't a setup. So intervening has so many consequences that we see on a regular basis of just things quote gone wrong um, or people doing the right thing so it's like perpetually frowned upon or like not a good idea like I see it as oh man that's not a good idea and those people probably were at the early impacts of that mind your own business I'm gonna stay in my own stay to myself and another thing you touched on was uh in regards to sex education and like the relationship management aspects like being able to identify healthy relationships was something that you uh sort of spoke to at the end there and i think that one of the barriers there is that because of our fear of talking about sex with youth we assume just like you said like we default to like wear a condom we're assuming that sex education is talking exclusively about intercourse and there's a difference between sex and intercourse when we talk about intercourse we're typically talking about heterosexual sex that can lead to pregnancy where we talk about sex we're talking about pleasurable acts that can lead to orgasm now when we speak about sex in its context we're talking about male female we're talking about genetics we're talking about what the body does to each of these sexes and that's what the sex education i believe has more involvement with than intercourse you know intercourse might be a part of sex education but it is not the end-all be-all of what sex education is and it's also not oh you're teaching my kids how to have sex right that's not it and even then like parents don't think that they're learning about sex they think that they're learning about intercourse and there's such a disconnect because people just don't talk to each other and understand where these things all intersect and how the absence of willingness to have these challenging conversations and bring in the right um, the right resources and support and services and people the absence of those things enable for this normalized dysfunction which is actually the title of the episode that i was <laughs> referencing uh at the beginning here it's episode 97 i'll link that in the show notes if people want to listen to that as well but this very much you know a few years later just supports what our guest on that episode was saying about just a normalized dysfunction in her environment uh, how what was happening at home, what was happening at school enabled what was going on in the community and right. didn't give her what she needed in order to best navigate that. It, you know, and that point that you made, you know, we're afraid to talk to youth about sex. And it's just, I think this, our country was kind of based on these Puritan mystical views. And it's just so hypocritical because we're so not Puritan here, but our politics, our dogma is we're pure. You know, we don't talk about that. We don't, you know, it's so confusing for young people because I'm not going to talk to you about that, but they walk outside and they see a billboard with a woman wearing very, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with a woman wearing, you know, but it might give them a reaction 
in their body about that. They see it everywhere. It's their friends are talking about it. It's on their smartphones. And I've seen a lot of, um, I think it was on Euphoria, where it was an example of first having sex for the first time, and they didn't know. They, they knew the mechanics of it, but they didn't know what else to do, so they turned to porn. They go online, and so it's just like it's all so disconnected, and we're not honest with ourselves in this country, I don't think, about who we really are now. We have this ideal of what we want to be, but this is who we are, and we're so restrictive on on so many of these things with our kids, and that's that's fine. I don't want to debate that. If that's how you really feel, but our kids are being—it's a big disservice to our kids, and I think that there's a lot of people in my generation who are like now kind of becoming aware, like, wow, all this generational trauma. I'm breaking that, and we're kind of coming together as our generation and like community. And saying, I'm going to do this with my kid. I'm going to do this with my kid. So my hopes are that this next generation, one that I'm helping to raise, will go forward and help perpetuate that thought. Because this is normal to them now. I'm not ashamed of my body. My body is okay. I'm not ashamed of sex. I can ask my parents questions about sex without them clamming up. I can ask them about, you know, all these things about my body, my changing body. And who better to ask? than your own parent you know right like that's so private and sacred you should be able to ask your own parent so i think there is a paradigm shift going on um because we're kind of just getting so fed up and so aware like you know and there's so much more available to us now for mental health and the right i think i don't want to say the right way to do things because everyone has their own idea but healthier way to raise your children um, so that they can thrive in this world that's changing. So um, I, I unfortunately, you know, what you're saying about intervening in situations, um, I can speak to that a little bit is um, I've known a lot of women going through domestic violence and um, it's really hard because you're brainwashed. You really are, have the Stockholm Syndrome, you think this person, you know, even though they're hurting you, you may have come from an environment where you were hurt a lot. And you're going to defend them, even though he's beating the crap out of you. And that's just, again, it goes down to the the basics, the beginnings of relationships. Because both men and women, girls and boys, need to be educated. What's the proper way to have a relationship? Not just its mechanics. But we're so scared of that. <laughs> we can't have those conversations in school. So fine, have it as a parent with your kids. What you should be doing. We shouldn't be talking all only about what we shouldn't be doing can we have some what we should be doing because these kids don't freaking know what they should be doing that's why they're going on porn <laughs> so look because they don't know we just said don't do this but what about when i do do it so that's just my two cents i know i kind of went off on a tangent but i think it ties in this is this is not just one thing we're talking about and that's what your you know philosophy is about we're wanting to integrate this thought process into the sexual health education system yeah and more leadership and leading language really helps with that too because when you tell someone not to do something all you do is you stop them from going that direction and there's a whole nother 359 degrees of directions that they can go into so you've just eliminated one route of them getting to where they are going to be whereas if you are able to lead them in a direction of okay well here is here are some things that you need to understand now you might have eliminated 
300 degrees so now there's only 60 but they're going in one direction that is along where you've guided them so you'll be able to further guide them as they need it to help them get to where they're going to end up and i really think that that's really 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 important uh, especially for young people they need to be guided to not led from yeah i think you're exactly right and this is just a completely different paradigm shift from historically how we've raised our kids in this country so there's a lot of resistance and things like that but i do see some emerging hope from other parents my age and stuff like that um, again there's a lot of resistance and things but i think there's a community a strong community starting to emerge and i want to be continue to be a part of that um, however i can to help young people because you don't want to spend your adulthood trying to heal from your childhood you should be spending your adulthood you know thriving navigating the challenges of being an adult and you know you shouldn't have to be spending and that's what I've had to do you know and so for my child I don't want to pass that on it's been hard but you know you have to face yourself and face the reality and, and work on yourself and work on it so that your child won't grow up and be all fucked up you know and then not know how to do the normal things a young person should know how to do you know so um I really appreciate your podcast and what you're doing, and I fully support it. So. What a way to wrap that up. You gave me the podcast title, and you just basically said we were done. I love it. <laughs> so don't spend your adulthood healing your childhood or fixing your child. I forget how you worded it, but, yeah, I think that'll be the title. You shouldn't have to spend your adulthood healing from your childhood. There we go. Is there anything else you want to leave us with before I let you go? This was a lot. I mean, I, I know I told you 75 minutes, and we're getting there now. But. Yeah. Well, I saw the time, and I know that I can tend to, like, ramble, so I was like, oh, I better wrap this up before he does the, come on, get the wrap-up box up. Wrap it up. From the Chappelle Show? Oh, <laughs> yes. my God. Uh, wrap it up. Wrap it up. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right. Um, because I could go on for a long time, but I don't want to. I know some people are probably sleeping, going to be sleeping through halfway. Oh, anyway, stop but. it. No, this was really, really <laughs> good. And like I said, the timing of it was beautiful because now this is one more piece that I can accompany with one of the offerings of something positive for positive people in reference to the sexless sex education. And this illustrates the importance of those non sexual components of sex education that need to be. Uh, that coming from like your experience like you are this is textbook integrating the lived experience of someone who has had to navigate herpes stigma into sex education to aid std prevention efforts because again if you had these non-sex communication um, components in your arsenal you might have been able to maybe not avoided this situation but be led to a more uh, a, a good situation or a healthier yeah. situation like instead of avoiding what's wrong being guided or led down what's healthy or what's more in alignment so i thank you and i thank you for being able and willing to so quickly get this turned around and connect and get the recording in and uh yeah i appreciate you oh thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it i hope that um, I contributed it in a good way, and I hope that it reaches um, reaches the right people and maybe gives them some hope too. So thank you. Thank you.
All right, y'all, that concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to this podcast. And also, uh, it's been a while, so please go and visit www.spfpp.org. You will notice a lot of changes to the website. I spent a lot of money, uh, a lot of money to get this website looking like not a newspaper, which was what it looked like when I was running it. It's still in black and white because that's just... I like that color scheme and I think that it sort of parallels with the messaging here that, you know, this is what we're doing. You know, it's it's this or that. I mean, there's a whole like, yeah, gray area or whatever, um, but we're exploring that. And the whole black and white theme really symbolizes choice, you know, choose this or that. Right. And accept what's in between as is. And you decide how you want to move forward from there. But anyway, that's that we got to get all deep right here or anything like that. But I very much encourage people to if you want to be a part of this community, if you want to build community, um, I have a Patreon account. This is where you can make monthly donations, contributions automatic. Um, You can join for as little as five dollars a month. And there is where I'll be sharing more of my own personal experiences and engaging with and interacting with the community of people who are at least monetarily connected to something positive for positive people. This is where I will uh, plan to facilitate support groups uh, or support meetings and just be able and willing to connect with people in person. Um, I think that the support groups that exist already are phenomenal. I'm glad they exist. They do great work, uh, but they're not what people who come to something positive for positive people are looking for. So it is my I feel called to create that. I feel called to make that and uh, make myself more accessible and available to the people who are willing to contribute to the Something Positive for Positive People community um, monetarily or as podcast guests or, you know, whatever offerings it is that you can bring to the community. But donations, uh, you can find those on the donations tab of the website, www.spfpp.org, and you can use Venmo. Zelle, PayPal, Cash App, and like I said, uh, you can join a Patreon, which would be like the easiest way to do it. You can set it and forget it, all right? And yeah, this was uh, something that links very closely to the sexless sex ed talk that we do. Um, And essentially, I take what people have shared has been useful to them navigating, communicating about sexual health. and tying that into the relationship management skills uh, for the people who educate youth about sex and sexuality. Because again, when we talk about sex education, I think a lot of people default to intercourse education. And we need to first like dissect and understand and expand more on that and understand that there's so much more to sex education than just how to use your genitals to procreate, (laughs) right? So uh, yeah, that's it. Be on the lookout for the 2023 Something Positive for Positive People survey. We got IRB approval. We're going through another round of approvals before I can release this. Y'all, please be patient with me because I have not been. I kind of lost it on the person who I was working with in regards to this. Had to tell I apologize. And (laughs) we're good now. We're working together. And both of us are excited about it. But I've been really impatient about this. And it's taken a lot longer than it should have whatever reasons but it'll be worth it when we're able to start collecting the information all right i will catch y'all whenever uh please 
y'all got my email you know the website Courtney at spfpp.org is the email www.spfpp.org is the website all right till next time thank you